Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP1. This week on TWIP, Adobe adds new features to Photoshop CC. Is the Japanese camera market in jeopardy? Also, switching brand allegiances, plus an interview with Scott Brout and Kieran Sachs from Shutterstock.com. It's Wednesday, January 22nd, 2014, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. It's a very special show today, I think. We've got some some faces slash voices on the show that haven't been on in quite a while. And Jimmy Hoffa, I mean, a guy that has been gone and missing in action is now back in action. So joining me to discuss some of the crazy topics that have been happening in photography this week and more are Mr. Jeffrey Totaro and Mr. Wait For It. Sil Arena. Welcome back, guys. What's going on? Hey, hey Frederick. Frederick. All right. Uh, Sil, you know, normally I give the, the first the first uh, pleasure of sort of talking about what they've been up to to the person that hasn't been on in the longest amount of time. I think you win. I, I think <laughs> I set the record. You've I been broke. gone since 2012, I think. I or so. Yeah, I missed a whole, like, year and a half. Yes, 2012. You know, I have a good reason for the first, like, I don't know, year when you switched to Wednesday nights. Okay. Yes. I got I was involved with a local scout group and that's the night of the week that we met. And that's much more important. I was a scout, boy scout, we blow, all that stuff. So yeah. much yeah. more important than a podcast. So, I, so my youngest son Tony was, has been a scout for a long time and we actually kind of culminated last summer. We went to the National Scout Jamboree in West Virginia in cool. August. Lovely time to go to the state of West Virginia. And then right after that, I started a new job that I've not told anyone about. Um, I actually am teaching art and photography at a college prep high school in San Luis Obispo. What? That is cool. So get, get the timeline when I went all Jimmy Hoffa. That's exactly when I started this new job. I yeah. teach Monday through Friday. I teach six art and photography classes a day to 90 really um, blessed children. <laughs> I, I saw you searching kids, for that right? word, so. Oh, I don't know. Lucky kid, they're like, oh, my God, do we really have another semester with Mr. Arena? Are you kidding me? Do they call you Mr. Arena? Oh, of course they do. Man, oh, you know, God. it's still it's, it's Mr. Arena. Co- <laughs> it's in college prep. It's like, you know, the real deal. That, so That's it's a pretty legit sounding job. That's great. It's a great school. It was a... Uh, it, yeah, I applied for it last spring, and I was kind of like, well, if I get this job, then I was meant for the job, I guess, because I totally never expected. To and you get, got it. I got the job, so that's what I've been doing since August. And so, so I'm, now that now that you have a real gig, did this mean you don't have to toil over writing those books anymore? No, to the contrary, that? man. I'm like, I'm like now um, figuring out how in like ten weeks I have off next summer. I'm going to get a new book on the 600 EXRT speedlight system done. 
Sweet. Start and finish. Oh, like start oh and finish. Wow. So you get that you get that cool sort of yeah, summer off deal. That's, that's yeah, oh yeah. That's yeah. it's you know, <laughs> I mean you, anybody who has like thought, oh, teachers have it easy, they should spend five <laughs> days a week with high schoolers. <laughs> I, I didn't say the teaching was easy, but the summer off is cool. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's the that's the real story behind my going Jimmy Hoffa is I, I got off my summer workshops. Um, did did Santa Fe, did Maine, went right to work at this new gig, um, and of course when I took the contract, signed the contract in May, I said to the prof I said to the principal, I was like, uh, oh by the way, in the middle of the second week of school, I need to go to Sao Paulo, Brazil for four days because I've got to do a presentation and speak to this group. And he, uh -huh. It's like literally his words were, well. I hope it's going to be cool to have a rock star as a photo. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I mean, uh, and, um, So I went to Sao Paulo. It was an amazing time. I got back. I hit the, you know, the full pace of being a brand new high school teacher. I studied art, man. You know, back when Matisse and Van Gogh were like alive. Okay, that's how old I am. <laughs> and I just, I just got totally overwhelmed and swept up and trying to be the best teacher that I could be and realized, oh my God, I am in so deep and so I might as well have been swimming with Jimmy Hoffa. That's, That's how good, deep though. I was. I mean, that is so cool. You mean you were all in, blinders on, focusing. <sighs> and I can't imagine a better thing for you to be doing than helping it, mold young minds. Though Silarina molding young minds. I don't know. I got to think. That's a dangerous <laughs> thing. You know, wait till Homeland Security gets wind of this, bro. Oh, the end of this podcast. <laughs> oh man. Well, Sil, I gotta. I want to welcome you back to the land oh, man, of the internet. Thank you for coming back, and it's good to have you back on the show. Thank you. All right. Also on the show is Mr. Jeffrey Tataro. What is going on, Jeffrey? Hey, Frederick. Great to be back. I think uh, the first time I was on the show, I think it was with Sil. So yeah. I think I really? think back yeah. since. But uh, but I guess it's been a while. Um, I was on I guess last in maybe uh, April I think. Um, but uh, 2013 was a was a very good year uh, for me. I'm thankful for that. And 14 uh, is off to a very good start. So. And what what does a very good year mean? Lots of new clients or returning uh, previous clients or workshops? Yeah, what? I've had. Um, I'm fortunate to have a lot of repeat clients, but I do. Um, pick up a handful of new clients every year. And uh, so that's, yeah, so it's been, it's been great. It's always a variety of work. In fact, I'm headed out to your coast uh, tomorrow to work oh. with uh, with a new client. Uh, we've done a handful of jobs together so far. It's a retail client. So oh. I, I photographed their new stores right before they right before they open. And uh, so they've sent me around the country a bit and uh, up to Canada, down to um, Charlotte and out to, the, out to the West Coast. So looking forward to that. And I'm uh, getting ready. Um, every February, I do this workshop in Palm Beach uh, with the Palm Beach Photographic Center. And so we're doing that again this year, February 18th to the 22nd. It's a nice, uh, it's very immersive five-day workshop. And, cool. uh, and can, is that still open? Can people <clears throat> sign up for that still? Uh, it is still open. Yeah, there's, I just uh, checked with them yesterday. There's still some uh, availability. So, um, yeah, anybody's interested, you know, get in touch with me if you have any questions. But uh, it's fun. It's five days. It's about half a day in the classroom, half a day out shooting. And uh, so... Most people seem to like it, <laughs> so it's a That's good cool. mix of people usually. So, so when, yeah, they, when they leave the workshop after that five days, they will be an amazing architectural photographer. Is that That's the, the idea? Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So, right. Yeah, we cover a lot. As of long stuff. as long as they buy with those big giant uh, digital backs. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, well, yeah. That's the secrets. Yeah, yeah. They get to yeah. They, I bring my my equipment, and my my dealer usually sends uh, um, sends some equipment too, so people can play with the medium format stuff if they want. 
And um, also 2013 brought me the new uh, IQ 260 Phase 1 back, which has been really fun to work with. So. Wow. That's been that's been a treat. <laughs> what, what, what uh, you know, just just for the heck of it, what do mm-hmm. those run? What, what, um, if I want to go buy one tomorrow, what, what do I have to get off of? Well, it sounds it sounds bad. It does sound bad. <laughs> Here we go. The, Here we go. The, it's in the forty thousand dollar range, but oh. um, but I've been in the sort of in the family for a while, and so you, you can trade in. They gave an amazing trade in the last one I had, so it's it's not that bad once you once you sort of buy into the whole system. Uh, but yeah, but it's good. It's, you're not buying a new one every year, obviously. So I, no, I had my last no. one for six years, and uh, so it's. Uh, and, but it's worth it. If you're if you're in the line of work that requires that level of detail and resolution, chances are mm-hmm. your billings would cover that, right? So. Yeah, that's, that's the idea. Yeah. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. So, so but, okay. it doesn't work out that way, but yeah. So uh, it's just to the, the way I like to work. You know, to the so. layman that's that's looking at prices of mirrorless and DSLRs, then it's kind of like. 40k? How many lenses is that? It's all the yeah. lenses. <laughs> right, right, right. I think I got into it at the right time because I'm comparing it to shooting 4x5 film. Yeah. And so when I first leased my leased the first digital back, it, I was paying less per month than I was paying for film and processing. So it made sense <laughs> at that point because that was from cheap film. Yeah. But you know, doing it now, yeah, it's like okay, you can have a decent camera, a decent DSLR, or you could spend you know a lot more for medium format. So you have to make sure you're in it for the right reasons and the right expectations. So. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, before we continue with the show, I want to thank our wonderful sponsor for this episode of This Week in Photo, and that's Squarespace.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just head over to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP1. And, you know, a couple things about Squarespace. They've got a new metric app for iPhone and iPad that allows you to check your site stats like page views, unique visitors, and social media follows. And with the blog app, you can make text updates. You can tap and drag images to change the layout and monitor comments on the go. Squarespace is really easy to use. But if you need help, they've got an amazing support team that work 24 hours a day seven days a week. And Squarespace starts at just $8 a month, and that includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. So you can start your free trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. Then when you decide to sign up, you can just make sure to use the offer code TWIP1 and they'll knock 10% off of the price. That's TWIP1, the number one, to knock 10% off and also to show your support for This Week in Photo. And we thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace is everything you need to create an exceptional website. So you you use Squarespace, don't you, for, oh, for Silarena.com? I love Squarespace. When I saw the promo in the show notes, I was like, cool. Silarena.com, um, I, I, I've coded up my own site for years and years and years. And like a year, a little over a year ago, I found out about Squarespace. I was like, oh, I'm going to give these guys a try. Within like three hours, I had a completely new site. They give you like a two-week or whatever it is free trial. Right. I was like, just three hours, man. Take my money. I am so happy with what I did. So I am a huge fan of Squarespace. Big big shout out. Thanks for supporting Twip. Thanks for making Silarena.com look so cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks. Thanks. I'm sure the Squarespace folks will appreciate that that testimonial. I mean, and from Silarena, no less. The educator, Jimmy Hoffa, and the guy behind Speedlighting. Is it Speedlighting.com or .net? Um, actually, it's all rolled now into Pixelated.com. 
It's oh, all okay. one Pixelated. Side. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Actually, I gotta get caught back up in the arena. It's, there's universe. a lot of territory, to cover, but we'll get there by the end of the show, Fred. We will get there. We will get there. All right. But once again, thanks to our friends over at Squarespace.com. All right, guys. Let's jump into the news for this week. Story number one is about our friends over at Adobe. I don't know. I don't think I know any photographers that don't use Adobe products right now in one way or another. So. Basically, the, the gist of this story is last week Adobe rolled out a bunch of new features to several programs that make up the Creative Cloud offering. And of particular importance to photographers were updates to uh, Photoshop CC, including new perspective warp controls, uh, linked smart objects, 3D printing, and Mac Pro compatibility for dual GPUs. So... Um, there's a Jeff Tranberry um, is a guy from Adobe, and he's got a full list of all the tweaks and enhancements over on his blog, and we'll link to that in the show notes. But what I wanted to focus on in this segment was just from you guys' perspective, um, what when is enough enough? So, and specifically, are all the big features for Photoshop already done? I mean, I remember getting really excited when layers came out, and <laughs> channels, and smart objects, but is it, are we at a point now where we've got our toolbox is kind of full, right? We've got all the things we need in it. Now it's time to, to you know, I don't want to use the expletive, but either do your business or get off the pot. <laughs> in other words, is it time for us to just, we have all the tools, let's get out there and make art. So what do you Yeah, you, no, I, I totally embrace that. And um, it's not the toolbox that's full. It's my head <laughs> that's full, right? You know? That's the opposite problem I have. No, so. man, it's like this. It's like they add a new feature like, you know, warp control. I'm thinking like Star Trek, you know. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> dilithium crystals. But seriously, yeah. you know, I have embraced the idea, uh, and I've actually, in my Jimmy Hoffa, five, five and a half months off the web, uh, I love that phrase. Um you know, and teaching art to kids, I mean, it's amazing how all of these things have come together in my life at this time to take me back. I love Adobe. Two weeks ago, I finally stepped up to the whole CC, Creative Cloud kind of thing, and so yeah. they're going to get some of my blood every month. Yeah. Um, but I, I run one, two, three, I run four computers in different places, and so I've got a personal computer at school, for instance, personal computer here at the house, actually two here at the house, and then one that's off at college with one of my sons. And so when I added the, the newest iMac here at the house, I was like, okay, you know, I, I truly believe in being legit about licensing. I totally get the whole intellectual property thing. I mean, book royalty, software royalties, all that's really important, right? So I signed up for, of course, I took advantage of the 30 days free. I was like, I'm going to give them my money for Creative Cloud, but I'm going to do it 30 days from now, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know. You know, it's it. Uh, I have really mixed emotions about the whole business model. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, you know, paying monthly, yeah, because I'm I'm licensing the whole creative suite because yeah. I do desktop publishing. You know, I do all these other things. Like just I need everything every once in a while. I'm a total hacker in Illustrator, but you know, every once in a while, it's like I need to do this in Illustrator or whatever the heck it is. So the one thing I do buy off on is I don't have to worry about having the latest and greatest. I might not Because it's use, already there, right? It's already there. And I love the fact I get, like, every time I log in, it's like, oh, you know, we got this. It's like, whatever, just put it all there, make sure. And I, and I will say this. I truly believe that Adobe is pushing out updates. You know, I mean, we used to have to wait whatever it was, the whole production cycle, like 18 months to get new cool things. 
Yeah. And now we're getting additions to Creative Cloud on a monthly basis. And I don't know how I feel about that, though. Jeffrey, I want you to, have, mm -hmm. I want you to chime in on this, too, because yeah. I remember, like I was saying, back in the day, you guys remember when Photoshop 3 came out, and that's when layers were Wait, introduced, right? I'm I remember step out of frame. I'll show you something. Yeah, it was, it was go ahead, Zill. It was Still a big deal. Book. You guys I remember? Still, it was a big deal. There you go. Look at that. I still have the book. Yeah, Real world. So for you listeners, Sill is holding up the book, Real World Photoshop 3. Real world. There it is, baby. So I think I think that might be ready for the landfill. I'm just saying. No, this is like, an, this is like a, you know, this is a treasure trove of history, man. Yeah. I, I totally remember Photoshop 3. Right. Layers. Jeffrey, you remember oh. Photoshop 3 when it came out, and it yep. was... Oh my God! This concept of layers is almost like graphic design again. With yeah, and what do, what do you think? I mean, is it like I was saying at the top of this piece? Do you think we have everything we need now? I mean, are is it because I look at it in two ways? It's either it's either Adobe is is looking for features to add to justify continuing to monetize the software and justify the subscription. On one hand, on the other hand, though, Adobe with its computational photography efforts and all that is pushing the technology of digital imaging forward and then the enhancements we see in Photoshop are technological advancements and they make sense because they're pushing the capabilities of what we can do as digital artists forward. Where, where do you stand on that, Jeffrey? Right. Well, I think um, you know, Photoshop is always going to be the, the sort of Ferrari of, of being able to get things done. It's gonna, the most high performance that you can get, and I think when they separate, when they pulled out the feature, when they made Lightroom essentially, I, I think uh, not that Lightroom's not powerful, but Photoshop has all the tools you could ever need, and and Lightroom seems, and I'm not really a Lightroom user, but Lightroom seems to have the sort of a, a minimum amount of tools where you don't really need to get into Photoshop, and plenty of people use it to to great effect um, to to get you know really good work done, but it's sort of a I don't know, but a little bit lighter. So I think they had this model in mind for a while. But we'll keep we'll keep innovating on Photoshop. Come up with some new great features for that. But these are really high end features that that not everyone's going to want. Not everyone's going to want to pay for either. But and then they have their other products like like Lightroom. And I suspect they might even break out Camera Raw um, yeah. as maybe even a, a third sort of even sort of third tier at some point. Maybe that's just my speculation. Now, are you um, are you using Photoshop on a on a daily basis in in your workflow? Yeah, my workflow is, is pretty simple. It's, I use Capture One, Phase One's uh, raw processor. Um, kind of have to use that with the Phase One back. But it, it, that's very good. Uh, it, it has a lot of nice features. They keep making that more powerful, too. But, yeah, I basically use that and Photoshop and Bridge, of course. But uh, So that's a pretty simple, straightforward workflow. I don't really so use Lightroom. Where, where just... are the walls, then? Where are the walls for you and your workflow mm -hmm. that you're like, you know what, my, my day would go so much faster if I could just do X. What's X for you? Is there an uh, X? Well, it's it's hard to define because I don't know that the software is there yet. Like for me, I do rather than doing like HDR uh, in terms of blending multiple exposures and all that kind of thing, I do a very sort of manual uh, piece by piece compositing in Photoshop. That's what I use it for mostly. Mm -hmm. So I'll process all the raw files out of Capture One that were all the pieces. Like we we lit this piece over here, we lit that piece over here. Uh, we did a separate exposure for the windows. We did you know window shades up, window shades down. All these things get blended together in Photoshop. So. Um, I think if there were some way to automate that, which I, I think that's very far away, uh, then that would be nice. But I think it's, you know, I, I look forward to new features here and there, but mostly it's it's about as good as it can get uh, yeah. in terms of making my workflow simpler. Because uh, the HDR stuff, if that became good, in, in my mind, I need it to look really realistic. I don't like the sort of 
you know creative look that uh, that that HDR lends to things. Uh, right. So overprocessed over look, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I'll tell you what you describe. You know, is sounds really cool. I mean, shooting shooting an image in multiple pieces and then taking those building blocks and putting them together in Photoshop. I wouldn't yeah. want Photoshop or Adobe to take that away because that's kind of the fun yeah. part. Yeah. <laughs> it's I like know, you could. can build yeah. a ship in a bottle or you could buy a ship in a bottle. You know, it's more fun right, to build right. a ship in a bottle. Right? <laughs> yeah, so I don't know that that software could ever do that. So I don't yeah. I don't know that, uh, you know, again, I look forward to a, a new feature here and there that might make things a little quicker or one or two less steps or something. But um, mostly I'm looking forward to the new Mac Pro uh, just oh. to speed things up from a, from a speed perspective. And that's, what, that's what's going to get me to get into Creative Cloud. You're the customer. You're the customer for the Mac Pro because yeah. I'm I'm on the side of I don't know. I can't say never, but I'm on the side of I'm going less. You know, I want mm-hmm. light, nimble MacBook Pros. At the very most, I would probably add another iMac to my to my setup to have desktop power, but I want right. less stuff. I mean, I do all yeah. of Twip, everything, <laughs> all the videos and everything I do are done on one MacBook Pro. It's a new MacBook Pro or a late model one. But right. it's it's one computer to rule them all. So what, what do you think? I mean, are you are you said you got multiple computers floating around? So clearly yeah, you're yeah, rolling I, in I mean, the dough. I totally. I um <laughs> my life has changed so many ways. So I live two miles from school, and I've got a huge studio there that I teach in, and um you know I zip back and forth between home and school, and so. And I teach I teach all my photography kids Lightroom. I love Lightroom. Um, I was a Lightroom beta tester, you know, way mm-hmm. back in the day when it first came out, and George Jardine was running things. Yeah. And didn't we meet uh, back then? I think that's when I was. I, think, a, I was at yeah, I think that's where you and I first, you know, my parole officer introduced me to your, you know, to your parole officer or something. <laughs> yes. Like that. Yes. Um, so, um, but here's the cool thing I found. So I live and die right now, you know, multiple computers. Um, I live and die by Dropbox, all right? Yeah. And so the cool thing I figured out, Frederick, I have um, 33 Digifo students at school, and we use Dropbox so that I have direct access to all their Lightroom catalogs. Mm-hmm. They say, oh, yeah, I shot 100 photos for that assignment. I was like, oh, really? I'm going to look on my computer at your Lightroom catalog at that assignment. Yeah. So, um, because, and the reason that works is because Lightroom, you know, catalogs not just like pirate this section, but um, I mean, for what's real world for me, it's running the same version of Lightroom across multiple computers at different um, locations because Lightroom doesn't like networked drives for their catalogs. But somehow Dropbox tricks my computers into thinking, hey, that catalog exists right here. So I had MacBook Pro. And tell my number two son Vin, who's on the cover of Speedlighter's Handbook, the Pumpkin Smasher. People yes. Know yeah. Um. So he hauled off to Cal Poly as a freshman this fall, and I like okay. He and I last spring I wanted a new uh, MacBook Pro to go on my speedlighting tour last spring. I was like, if I tell mom that, um, I'm gonna give you this laptop when you go to college, will you like say yeah he's gonna get? And then of course I had to give him the laptop when he went to college. Of course. Of um, course. So. You know, running across multiple computers, for me, Lightroom is totally where it's at um, in terms of digital photography, although, you know, the other great thing I'll share with the world is I've actually gone back, and in the last month, I built a wet darkroom. I'm literally sitting in my darkroom wow. underneath my what? house. Yeah. Still. <laughs> larger. You- a sink. I mean, I've got the whole deal, and I'm doing these. You've got really a you've got a silver DeLorean with a flux wow. capacitor in the backyard. <laughs> with a time warp drive, right? No, I just um, 
you know, for me, I mean, I've been at this, I've been making images, God, I'm, I am truly old. Um, I've been making images for 40-something years. I truly started when I was a little kid. And, you know, teaching these kids at school, I was like, I miss, I actually realized, because I taught them how to do cyanotypes. And I was like, mm. I truly miss the alchemy, the magic of watching that image come up in water. Yeah. And so, I remember. I remember. you know, man, the yeah. good news is you go out on eBay, Darkroom stuff is really cheap, right? I was just saying, you probably got that really cheap, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like 40000 bucks. It's like I got a really nice color darkroom that 10 years ago would have cost twenty grand. I think I'm into it for like 1000 bucks right now. Wow. With, no, wow. I'm probably 1500 1500 for sure. But yeah. anyway, um, so, you know, I mean, I go back and forth. I'm doing these new abstract photos that I blog today that are just, to me, they're mind-numbing. They're, they're cameraless, computerless photographs in the traditional sense, meaning a light sentence of material capturing light, and then you process it somehow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, man, it's like, it's like re-sparked the passion in me as a photographer. So, so, then, on so the one you're bringing it back full circle then. So you're... Yeah. You're so the, clearly Adobe doesn't get any money for any of that stuff that you're doing. No, but on with, the other with hand, with the wet room, right? So here's here's the funny thing, though. No, to the contrary. So the only way that I can get these one-off prints that I'm doing onto the web is to photograph them, right? Right. So I to get out my Canon 5D Mark III. I get out my lights. I pin the prints to the wall. I, I mean, that the irony on me is, I just think it's hilarious, the irony of this, that I'm now doing this art form that I actually have to photograph with a digital camera because they're 20 by 24 inch prints. I don't have a scanner that big. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, I'm photographing, I'm jumping right back into the workflow that I know and love. Yep. And so for That's me, true they, go, right, they go into Lightroom, you know, we hit the white balance, we hit the clarity, we crop, um, and then... Boom! They go straight up to the web, right out of Lightroom. I mean, I create. So I'll, I'll, put the, I'll put the question to you that I put to Jeffrey on Adobe Photoshop. What, what if anything is missing feature-wise in the software that you just, you know, every day? Say you're with your students, you're like, kids, one day the software is going to get to the point where you can do X. What's X yeah. for you? Um, there's nothing in Photoshop that, uh, other than the ability to convert out to CMYK. Mm -hmm. And some sh I do I do no in my work um, I do no compositing. You know Jeffrey's you, Jeffrey's got to do those things in Photoshop because you can't do them in Lightroom. The last time I was on the show, Frederick, you called me a straight photographer, and I was like, Oh my God, am I real? You know, I thought, Oh no, I'm avant garde. I'm anything but. And you called me out, and you said. No, man, you have like a really straightforward digital workflow, yep. and you're not doing all of these special things. And there was a time, absolutely, when I was like so entrenched in Photoshop, and I went to every Photoshop world, and I like, you know, had all the books, and I did, this was pre-Kelby training, and pre-Linda, and pre-Web, pre yeah. and I like had to know everything. And then the pendulum, you know, my life is one pendulum swing after another. Um, so I look at it now, and I, for me personally, I don't have the brain power to keep up with Photoshop. But that doesn't yeah. mean that a 17-year-old kid coming out of my Digifo class where we don't use Photoshop, we use Lightroom. But all of a sudden, you know, he gets off and he says, I want to do this, I want to do that. And it's like, oh, try out Photoshop because you can do those things in Photoshop 
that you can't do in Lightroom. And all of a sudden, their brains, you know, like sponges, they'll take the time warp functionality of whatever they just introduced and go, there's really cool stuff here, Mr. Arena. We should be using yeah, it. And that's that's the thing I wonder <laughs> about, though. I mean, you know, because uh, like I said, I'm split. I'm sitting right on the fence about innovation versus just creativity uh, Frankenstein adding for the yeah. sake of adding you know so then you know I look at this stuff and I look at people coming into photography new and you know everybody's bright eyes and excited and learning all this cool new stuff and you know being exposed for the first time to like Kilby One and Linda and all these places and being excited about it and then I look at I, I think it from the standpoint of overwhelm right so there's all these choices that they have in front of them that we didn't have right so there's mirrorless versus mirrored cameras and you know, which software, digital asset management, is it, is it Lightroom, is it Aperture, all these things. And then now it, with Photoshop, do I need the cloud? Do I need all those features in the cloud? And if I get them, will I make use of all that stuff? Am I ever going to use Illustrator, After Effects, or right. InDesign, all that stuff? So all these questions are in people's heads when I wonder, wouldn't it be cool, Sil, if you would teach our new minds <laughs> to <laughs> just think less is more and understand yeah. lighting, composition, exposure, and and forget the rest of that stuff L until let later. Me, I, I want to respond to that, and I say this quite sincerely. I mean, we make a lot of jokes about my going you know, off the web. Nobody knew what was going on for five months because I literally just stopped. Yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even like, tweet to say, hey, I'm stopping. It's like I just stopped in mid-sentence. You, you um, did. Cold turkey. <laughs> I, I think everybody should do that. Yeah. I think everybody once in a while should just totally check out, shut down, because yeah. here's what happens. You shut down all the noise. My buddy Zach Arias talks a lot about signal and noise. And you shut down all the noise. You check out. I guarantee you if you do that, the universe will feed you what you need as an individual. Yeah. If you need to know layers, you need to know the new warp stuff, somehow, some way, whether it's a tweet you trip upon, it's a friend mentioning it. I mean, the weirdest things happen, Frederick, that I feel totally empowered by because what exhausted me as a photographer was trying to keep up with everything. Yeah. What, it, what just totally killed my creativity was trying to say, oh, my God, what are all these new features? Yeah. And I love you engineers at Adobe. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, at, at my point in my journey, I don't have the brain power, I don't have the energy to keep up with it all like a, like a new kid would. I love that. Uh, See, that, that's brilliant. That, that's brilliant. And Jeffrey, do you, do you agree with that? Because mm -hmm. it, it sounds like what Sil's talking about is pulling back a little bit and doing what we practice in, internet, in the internet marketing space because there's overwhelm there, too, of all these different things that you can try and different techniques and make money here, there, boom, boom, boom. And a lot of seasoned veterans in that space talk about the concept of just-in-time learning, meaning you have something that you want to do, whether it's build a website or build a video or whatever, you don't clutter your mind with how to do that until it's time to do that. <laughs> then, right, then right, you right. figure out how to get it done. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, I, th I think it's, it's almost like, like photography itself in a sense, like a, a good photographer or a good photography is often down to the edit. And so with all this stuff that's around, uh, you know, constant software updates, everything, I try and edit out the things I don't need. I sort of, you know, there are the things I absolutely need. There are things that I sort of, I'm aware of so that if I need to do something, like you're saying, I can just look up on the web, like how do I use this new warp tool if I need to change the perspective of some, you know, picture frame on the wall or something in the shot. So I, I try and, because there is so much to keep up with, like still saying, and it can get really overwhelming. 
that I, I try and just sort of keep it as simple as possible. And when I talk to people about learning photography from, from scratch, yeah. I really try and that I'm sure like Sil's doing too, but digital photography is extremely overwhelming. You open up any piece of software and it's like, where do you start? Yeah, do you start yeah. with color? Do you start with exposure? Do you, yeah. So I try and just sort of really simplify things in when I speak with people about it and also in my day-to-day -day, uh, work, just keep everything as simple as possible. I like to keep, um, so mentioned, like, you know, stumbling across something on Twitter. So I'll, I'll check Twitter to see what's going on just to see, like, oh, this is new. But just so I know it's new and I sort of know where to find it if I need it, that's great. But I, I don't really want to keep up with everything. In fact, I had a culmination of many different updates and, and uh, upgrades that came, like, over the summer sometime. And I was pulling my hair out because not everything was working uh, as it should. And I was just very frustrated with the whole process. And, like, I just don't have time to go through all this all the time. Yeah. So um, I like when things work, and there are certain things that don't need to be upgraded, <laughs> but the companies have to keep upgrading to have something new to sell. So that's uh, that can be certainly frustrating. That's right. so. Yeah, and then like yeah. I think about it from where we are now, and I feel like you know there's 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 areas or rooms within Photoshop that I've never explored. <laughs> so mm -hmm. Oh yeah, me all too. This stuff going on, and I think of it from the standpoint of, um, and this is what I I tell people that I consult or chat with. And it's the idea of beginning with the end in mind and then figuring out how to get to that destination. It's almost like, you know, a, a piece yeah. of art that's bugging you and buzzing away in the, away in the back of your head that you want to create. You, you Once you have that idea, then you figure out how to get there. You don't build all the tools and fill your garage with tools thinking that one day you're going to build something cool. Mm -hmm. You think of what that cool right. thing is and then figure out how to get there. I mean, what do, what do you guys think? Well, that's a great analogy. That, that, that's perfect. Yeah, keep it simple. Just, just to, I think uh, like, you know, like, a, like an Ansel Adams, you know, had this whole pre-visualization concept right. yeah. and uh, with the zone system and all that kind of stuff. So he, he knew exactly where he was trying to get to, like you're saying, and, and then figured out the tools that he needed to get there. And that, that's, a, that's a perfect way of thinking of it. I really, yeah. and it's a good exercise for photographers. I'm sure still teaches something uh, similar to that to his students about, you know, think about what, what is the art that you want to create and how do you get there? So that's perfect. Good way to do it. Yeah. Now, still, still, am I being too anal about that thing, beginning with yeah. the end in mind? Is it, or is it, should it be, you know, you're an artist, start with a blank canvas and see where it leads you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes you can begin with the end in mind and I totally love, you know, just in time learning. I think that, you know, that whole model, just in time inventory revolutionized manufacturing 10 yeah. years ago or whenever that was. Um, was so like just 20 in, years ago, so 20. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> this, what, what do you mean? This isn't 2004? What happened? No. Um, so, you know, I love that model, and, yeah, I think that if you begin with the end in mind, then you can find the resources. If there is something about your vision, your perception, something you want to share with the world, and you go find the tools to communicate that, your art will be so much stronger than if you go, oh, look what I can build with this new feature. Yeah. Because the reality is there's also another thousand people out there going, oh, look what I can build with that exact same feature. Yeah. So no, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it though, because all right. because here's here's an here's another thing. So I'm shiny object guy, right? So ooh, a cool new thing. So there's a cool new uh, piece of software on the market now. Right now it's an iPhone or iOS app, and the company is about to release a Mac version, a professional version of this app, and it's called Flixel. 
F-L-I-X-E-L. I'm looking and it up right now. Look it up. And what they do, <laughs> it, the company's partly owned by Tyra Banks of America's Next Top Model fame. And what they do is they create this piece of software that allows you to create what I call animated portraits. And it's, you know, you have a portrait or a photo and only one part of the photo is moving. And they do it seamlessly and professionally in high resolution. So it's not like a GIF where you see shadowing and pixelation around it. It's very seamlessly and high-end done. Now, when I look at software like that, that is allowing us to do stuff easily that was very hard to do before. Granted, you could do it before with After Effects, but now with this thing, you can essentially finger paint in motion, and it looks insanely cool. From when I look at it, I'm thinking, okay, this is new. This is something, I and mean, my brain starts moving about different stories and pictorials and di all these different things that you could do with this new software that you couldn't do before. And in my opinion, that's where new things need to go. It's like new ways of expressing our art, artistry, or whatever, or whatever arts in our mind's eye, rather than okay, here's a new thing that you may not ever use. What, what, what do you think, Sil? You see it? No, I, I totally have the site up now. I had an app a year ago that did something similar whose name escapes me. It wasn't this because there weren't pretty girls on the site. Yeah. Um, and that's always I, a plus. I'm just it saying. It is, you know? baby. It is. <laughs> but so here's the thing. I think that the future of the camera, and, and we've got some stuff hopefully coming up in the show if we get out of this conversation. Yes. But this about is riveting. I can't leave talk it. Of, talking about cameras. <laughs> Um, so I'll tell you this story really quick. A year ago, I was almost a year ago this week, I was standing in Grand Central Station, and I had like an hour until the train I needed to catch. And I looked at all these people coming by, and I had my youngest son, Tony, and, and my wife, Amy, with me. And I thought, man, it would be so cool to do one of those photos where like a person stands still in the middle of Grand Central Station, and all these people are walking by. Yeah. So I get out my phone, and I Google it, and I find the right app to do that image. And I took the image. And I, you know, I was doing little panos and all this fun stuff. And I was totally surprised. I mean, I was stunned, I should say. I was totally stunned at the fact that on the fly in the middle of Grand Central Station, I had an idea. I added functionality to my camera. Now my camera happened to be an iPhone. I love Apple. I love I, you know, iPhones. Um, but it's still an iPhone, right? Yeah. It's got the sensor the size of an ant's brain. We're never going <laughs> to get photographic bokeh in terms of real depth of field and, and right. all those things that are limited by Newtonian optics and all that stuff, right? But I thought... You really are a teacher. Wow. You know, this is where... <laughs> yeah. Um, this is where... This is where Nikon and Canon... This is the future of photography in terms of saying... We're going to create platforms to which you can bolt optics, mm -hmm. and we're going to give you the ability in real time to add functionality to this device. Now, I know you covered what was it the new the new Sony lens? Um, yeah, you did it with Derek. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, it's and, this thing right here. Yeah, yeah, and I so I looked at that and I was like, okay, there's a really interesting bit of technology, but ultimately it gets down to we are still humans communicating something. Right. So whatever whatever it is, I mean, I, I want to wager 400 years ago, you know, painters were saying, oh, man, you get this camel hair brush, the one with the brown tips, you'll be a world-famous painter, right? Right, right. And so it's kind of like this is not a new conversation about the interface between technology and humanity and art. 
Yeah. Right? So I would wager that 400 years ago, I probably would not be doing this podcast. I just. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, if I anybody could, say, if anybody this podcast could, would not would be in existence. <laughs> Stone tablet cast. I would well, not have a platform. I was waiting ago. around 400 years ago for you, Frederick. Just saying. That's how old I am. I was born in the right time. Let's just leave it there. So Jeffrey, let's let's close it off with you. Still, still talking mm-hmm. about this, you know, technology where, and still, basically, what you were saying is beginning with the end in mind, right? You were standing on that plane, the train platform, yeah, and you had an epiphany. I want to do this shot, and then I, you put the put the road in place to get to that shot. Right. I right? need the tool to do this. Give me yeah. the tool. Mm-hmm. Give me this functionality to express my vision. Yeah, Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. Any any closing thoughts on that? What do you think? Well, I, uh, I was going to mention something similar for the next the next segment too about that. Uh, just you guys really want me to go to that next segment? Don't you? Because, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, that's that's it's tremendous that you can even think about that because any 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 even the camera systems we still use now are very you know you, you buy it and you have it until the next one comes out and then you know that that's when you get the new feature. So it's just very cool to be able to add this almost like Creative Cloud where you can just sort of you're yeah. constantly updating and and things are much more live in real time and and that's. Uh, I think that's definitely where things are going. It's it's there now with software, and it's it's getting there with hardware. So. Yeah. All right, guys, I'm going to take your cue and move on to story number two. <laughs> but we're only going to touch on story number two briefly because I want to get to story number three, and we're almost the show's almost over. Let's see how quickly these twists right. man. Uh, but story number two is about the Japanese camera market. Um, Doug K brought this to our attention, and essentially Nikon, Canon, Fuji, Sony, um, they're at CES announcing new cameras. I was at CES too. I did an interview with Brian Smith from the Sony booth. Um, uh, but Doug K shared an article that discusses some of the reasons why the Japanese camera market is in jeopardy, and it mentions financial st- struggles that Olympus went through a couple years ago, and the you know the scandal of, around corruption and many Japanese companies that that won't, basically won't allow them to sustain their businesses. Um, in the face of declining consumer demand. So first question is, do you guys think it's true? Do you think the Japanese consumer market is in trouble? And the second part of that question is, isn't the Japanese consumer market the only consumer market? <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, can we just say it's the, the, the camera market? I mean, it's not... I mean, yeah. Who well, else? What other country makes great cameras? I don't know. Well, you even look at like a like a name like Leica, right? Oh, well, Leica's there, right? But Leica's most—I don't know exactly—but most of Leica's consumer market point-and-shoot smaller cameras than the M system are made by Panasonic. Yeah, so, yeah. So exactly. So yes, Which you're right. Japanese. It is, it is mostly <laughs> Japanese. I yeah. think that article mentioned something about the sort of they made some bets on the growth of the market. Mm-hmm. And that that growth has shrunk, if not, or is now going the opposite direction. So they're they're really just saddled by a lot of a lot of infrastructure that they probably just don't need. And so I think maybe it really opens things up for another player to come in. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe this is what we're talking about earlier, where where maybe it's an Apple and they take take uh take the technology like the little Sony lens that you have there, and you can attach your iPhone to it, and then it's just be, but it's a much smaller, leaner company. Yeah. Because uh, the point shoot be market's virtually though. gone. You know. Wouldn't that be crazy if Apple did to the to the consumer photography market what they did to the cell phone market? That would be right. Yeah. Crazy. Well, I think it's the time. The time's probably there. They could buy the technology. They could buy uh, the talent uh, from these companies, and then but just do it. You know, just just open up another small town at Foxconn to make cameras. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So, so, you know. so what do you think? Is is the Japanese and I use air quotes here? Is the Japanese camera market in trouble? I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, let's let's just um, 
let's just parse it out, I guess. It's, uh, is the DSLR as a form factor camera in trouble as a consumer device? Absolutely. You know, as Jeffrey mentioned, point and shoots, it's a dead market sector. Why? Because the convenience and added functionality on the fly of the iPhone and other mobile devices. What are you showing nope. me there, Fred? It looks like a... <laughs> I'm holding G- up my, my beloved G- old G9, my Canon G9. G9, baby. All right. Remember that? I yeah. love this thing. Still. So, you know, um, and, I'm, and, and I'm a huge fan of Canon's EOS M. They're one, you know, and I'd love to get my hands on an M2. Um, I mean, I, there's lots of things, and again, it depends on who you are and what you need, but when we talk about consumer with a capital C, that's the millions of people who are not the three of us on this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. We're willing to put up with the bulk of and the inconvenience of a DSLR because we recognize, or in Jeffrey's case, you know, whatever's beyond DSLR <laughs> with a $40,000 phase back. Yes, and, he shoots with one of the cameras that they have bolted to the International you know, Space Station. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, but you can add functionality by downloading an app to the space That's station, true. right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think the question, it's, it's a question that can't really be answered. Is the consumer market dead? No. And, and as you point out, who else besides the Japanese have their finger on the pulse of consumer electronics? The only other player in the world that is, you know, outside of Japan, and yeah, maybe you, maybe you draw kind of a bubble map and you include Samsung over in Korea, right. but the only people outside of that are your buddies down the street from you, Je- Frederick and, and Cupertino, right, at Apple. Yeah, yeah well, and, I, would, I would put Google in there, too. Google yeah, has more of course, money of course. than, you know, the solar system, so they can, <laughs> they can yeah. jump in, too. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, my friends at Google, as you know, your friends at Google, they're all really smart, great people doing really interesting kind of world-shaping things. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. I, the, the reality is consumer electronics is going to be based upon style. It's going to be based upon convenience yep. and functionality. I mean, my wife Amy shoots thousands of photos, it seems like, incessantly on her iPhone, and she loves them, but she's looking at them um, you know, on the iPhone screen. It's like, okay, honey, blow that up to a 16 by 20. Let's see what we got. Oh, mm-hmm. that's not so mm-hmm. good, you know? Right. It so yeah. it kind of fell apart. Or it's like, oh, my God, my phone got stolen, and none of those images were backed up. I mean, there are pitfall pitfalls in mm-hmm. that consumer trade. So I won't say that, the, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree that the industry is dead. Um, well, we didn't say dead. We said in jeopardy. So, in jeopardy. No, right. you know, not in the morgue yet. It might jeopardy. be in the ICU. <laughs> Being in jeopardy is a good thing because that forces you to innovate, right? Right. And that right. forces you to evolve, and that forces you to think about, ah, you know, let's push forward on this. They said it couldn't be done, but It reminds me of that. You guys remember you remember Monty Python and the, that rabbit, the killer rabbit, that when they cornered it, <laughs> okay. it, it went for the throat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I wonder if the if the camera market is like that rabbit, you know, and it's cornered. Now it's time to get aggressive and go for throats. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's I, I mean, I watch I watch my, my students and all, you know, 400 kids at our school. And I watch how these kids use these mobile devices. And one of the big problems in the classroom is like to get kids not to Instagram each other mm, um, during class. It's <laughs> like, you know. And, yeah. um, I mean, Instagram is the least of your worries. You should be worried about what's the what's Snapchat, the Snapchat, man. Snapchat, Snapchat right, yeah. yeah. Snapchat, you know, yeah. all of all of those things. But uh, you know, the reality is, whoever satisfies those consumers in five and eight years when they become people with money and means, 
whoever satisfies them is going to have a huge chunk of the market. That's right. That's so right. I can't say that it's in jeopardy. It's just as it always has. It's beckoning for innovation. Same as it ever was. Look at that. Right. All right, guys, let's, let's close off, close things off with story number three, and that's about allegiances. So basically what, the, what uh, the show notes writer Bruce put in here is choosing a camera can be, very, be a very personal decision for many people. Um, essentially, once you've chosen a brand of camera, switching becomes hard and expensive. And as an example, recently, it, kind of to illustrate this, the longtime Nikon photographer, our friend Mr. Scott Kelby, um, recently released a video saying why he switched back to Canon after shooting Nikon for for so many years. And in the video, he explained why he believed both camera, both companies make a, amazing cameras. But after being given a D1 or one DX to test drive, he fell in love with the ergonomics, the customization op options, and the focusing systems. And other photographers, Scott Bourne, who's the godfather of this show, Trey Ratcliffe, Zach Arias, who you know very well, still. And others have switched brands. So, my question to to this panel, to you guys, are: Are these allegiances even real? Like, what's an allegiance? You know, I don't I don't remember raising my hand and saying I pledge allegiance to to Nikon, Canon, Panasonic, Sony, any of these guys. Isn't it about the art? And who like yeah. who really cares what you're using to create this? I mean, Jeffrey, yeah. what do yeah. you what do you think? Well, I thought about this because there, there are a lot of things like uh, it's hard to know where to start with this one because it's if you are shopping for a Nikon or a Canon, like you're in that market, yeah. um, there are things that you're that are going to appeal. Both of them do the, the do the same thing really well, but there's how it feels in your hands. So uh, you had a show once where it talked about the, it, does the equipment matter? Mm -hmm. And my takeaway, at least in my my thought of that, was it matters in the sense that if it if it motivates you to get up and take photographs because you like you like a feature, you you like the look that a certain lens provides, uh, like a real shallow depth of field or something, or uh, any of those things. Uh, if, if it does motivate you to shoot, then the equipment does matter. So if you're trying to choose between really sort of somewhat equal competitors like a Canon or a Nikon, then it is going to come down to some of the aesthetics, the emotion, how it makes you feel, how it feels in your hand. Uh, yeah. The weight of it, all those sort of things. So, um, and then in any of those DSLR systems, or even the systems I use, um, you get invested pretty quickly in lenses, and that that really is is where I think the allegiance is. It's not. I think it becomes less of an emotional allegiance and more of a financial allegiance. You're like, I'm I think here. It's, it's got, a combination, got... <laughs> though. I, it might yeah. be a combination because it's financial. Um, and it might be the fact that you know the gear better. Like if I, sure. I, I shot Nikon forever since 1989. I shoot Nikon, so I understood how the Nikon cameras thought. I knew the menuing system. My muscle memory was built up to know where every little dial was on that camera. And as sure. a result, if you put a Canon in my hands, I'm not going to hate it and I'll figure it out, but it was the path of least resistance was Nikon because I right. was so accustomed mm -hmm. to it. So do you, what do you feel about that? Do you feel the same way or different? Yeah, no, I, I, um, I was thinking back and I just reached on the bookcase behind me and here is like, you know, my very first <laughs> Canon camera. It's a Canon A1. It's an wait, A1 wait, from 1980. Wait, well, I wait was, for it. Yeah, it's an there A1 you go. Or eight. Yeah, oh, baby. Yeah, there you go. go. <laughs> So, I learned on that camera. That's awesome. Yeah. So here's you know here's the reason that I shoot Canon today because in 1980 when I hauled off um, as a new student at Brooks Institute, uh -huh. I thought if I had the best camera in the world and the thing about the A1 was it was the very first camera to have both aperture and shutter priority automatic. 
I mean, mm-hmm. features that we totally take for granted today. That camera had them. I thought, man, if I have the right camera and go to the right school, there's no way that National Geographic is not going to hire me, right? <laughs> and they never call. <laughs> Well, yeah, but you know that's it's just like, oh, there's that. Yeah, but I mean, the rap, my journey was, you know, I I I showed up with that camera and immediately went into an Arca Swiss four x five system. And when I got tired of shooting four x five, I jumped over to Mamiya and I shot an RZ system for years and years and years. Nice. And then when I went digital, you know, I had nothing, man. I was like back in the FD, Canon FD lenses, right? But, yeah. So I didn't even have EF lenses. So I truly was at that point where I said, all right, I want to go digital. Well, I'm going to go Canon because that's what I shot 15 years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of like Ford and Chevy. Um, you know, the reality is, and I watched Scott's, I watched Scott's uh, video. Um, I was with Scott a year ago when he was at Peter Reed Miller's sports photography workshop. And, um, you know, I know Scott loves to shoot NFL. He, the reality is Scott has very specific needs. Again, it's mm-hmm. kind of begin with the end in mind. You want something that focuses super fast. You want something that shoots, um, you know, incredible frame rate because you're that's what it takes to be an NFL photographer and get those amazing shots because the action moves so fast. The 1DX is the camera to have, and I would totally love, you know, to have a 1DX. Yeah. I'd have to work out at the gym to lift it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, it's, you know, it's, so it's a, it's a I, substantial I, camera. I yeah. totally agree with Jeffrey in saying what keeps us from jumping back and forth. Oh, you know, Nikon's got this. I can't tell you as a speed lighter, of course. You know, for years and years and years, I took guff from my Nikonian friends because until the 600EXRT system with a built-in radio control and the new user interface, until that system, man, Canon was sucking a distant hind tit on the whole (laughs) speedlight thing, right? And, you know, Joe McNally and David Hobby and Scott Kelby, and it was like, oh, you shot Canon speedlights, man, you must really be a loser. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, two years ago, Canon Europe sends me under a you know non-disclosure agreement the new radio-based system. I was like, "This is a game changer." That was a leapfrog. Mm-hmm. Did oh, you come to you came to one of my meetups with that thing, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early, early on, and yeah. um, it's a total. So, but here's the thing, you know, to people who like small flash now abandon their Nikon or their Sony gear because Canon has the best speedlight system in the world right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think so, man, because for the vast majority of us, the cost of selling all those lenses and the cost of, in the case of speed lighters, small flash people, the cost of selling all those flashes, you know, even if you're a really good eBay and you know how to work the system, it costs a pretty penny to switch. And so yeah. we just kind of bide our time. Um, so, Somewhat, you know, looking at it, some of it, I think, is there's a little bit of technological Stockholm syndrome in there too, right? Because once you make the investment, and this is not at you guys level where you're very specialized, Jeffrey, you're very specialized in what you need to, to fulfill what your clients need, so you have to get that. But when you get down a couple levels to us normal people, right, that are, that are spending a couple thousand dollars on gear, which is a lot, and then you, know, you, you want to justify that to other people that made different choices than you, I always hear a little bit of Stockholm syndrome in there in oh, that yeah. people are like, hey, I bought this, therefore it's the best, you know, mm-hmm. and yours is crap. What, you bought Nikon? Oh, Canon is all the way. You're not a real photographer. 
or even in the Micro yeah. Four Thirds space, it's like, oh, you're shooting with Panasonic, you should be shooting with Olympus. Right. You know? you know, it's ridiculous. I don't. Yeah. I don't it's a way of protecting your investment. You know, <laughs> you have yeah. to defend your investment, and otherwise it'll lose value. So. Right. right, but why do you care? I mean, I don't understand why yeah. people care. What like why you care? I mean, I understand because I'm running a podcast called This Week in Photo. People might care what I shoot with, so I understand that. Mm -hmm. But other people that aren't running a podcast, why does Joe care what James is shooting with? You know, shouldn't Joe care what the images that James made look like? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's the old man in me coming out. No, you're absolutely right, Frederick, because these are really expensive choices. You know, mm -hmm. over time, anybody mm -hmm. who shoots Canon L glass, it's like you're gonna spend an average of a thousand bucks or more per lens. And by the way, glass is the most important thing you should put your money into. Always have a crappy body and great glass, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Because you have, you spend all your money on a body and you put a beginner lens on the front of it, you're gonna get beginner images through those optics. Right. Yeah. So reach out. You know, if there's any advice, don't worry about the brand. You know, and and just Buy what you can afford. Don't go into debt. You know, Zach well, talks about gear acquisition syndrome. It's like whatever you have, don't worry about what the other guy has. Learn to make the best of it. Stand by, you know. It's like if that's right for you, then great. And if it's not the right choice for your buddy, then don't put him down because of it. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Well, the one the one reason I, I was a uh, – when I first got into photography and got the first um, – maybe not the first, but the uh, – the SLR that I first got into in, in a heavy way was the Nikon F4S, mm -hmm. um, which was a wonderful camera, really nice. Yeah, it was sort beautiful. of the, it's a tank. It was, yeah, it's a tank. I mean, they they come out with an F5, but the F4S was more or less their sort of last camera before the digital came along. But um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love the Nikon system. I loved everything about it. Uh, I really enjoyed. And then I got into digital. Um, well, first I went into professional photography, but then digital came around and it was uh, time to get into digital for a DSLR. And I was like, well, I like the Nikon. Um, and I just didn't make any decision for a while. And then all of a sudden Canon came out with the first full frame mm -hmm. um, DSLR. And that for me was a real reason to switch. And that's when I sold all the Nikon stuff and got into Canon. Because uh, Canon, for, for what I do, um, has a nice range of the tilt shift lenses, the, the beautiful 17 tilt shift, the 24 tilt shift. And you could even put Nikon's uh, perspective control lenses on the Canon with the with the adapter. So it seemed yeah. like a, a great reason. I still don't really care for the Canon. <laughs> the lenses are really good. I just don't like the, the just the way it operates. You know, just that and the ergonomics. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. it's it's uh, subjective, right? It's yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. Yep. So there's all those things. So that was like a really good, definitely a game changer kind of reason. First full frame. Uh, DSLR, and with rumors that Nikon would never be able to have a full-frame DSLR. Uh, so that was one of those sort of inflection points about, well, I'm going to go this way instead of that way. So Perfect. Yeah, well, I mean, that's an that's an unanswerable quandary there. I mean, the the whole idea of of being tied to one brand or another is, is always going to be completely subjective. There's too many variables for us to say a definitive one way or another. Um, guys, let's move on to the, the listener Q&A. We've got one question in here. It's from Darren Odin, and he wrote this on our Google Plus page. He says, I'm about to set up a live shoot where the art director is on location, but the clients are remote. I've been looking at DF Studio, and I was wondering if anyone had alternatives to consider. I'm considering trying Zenfolio to see how that might work. Are either of you guys familiar with DF Studio? I'm not. 
So, As of a few hours ago, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. I mean, I hadn't heard of them until yeah. I, I saw this this question here. Jeffrey, uh, looking at them, what do you think uh, about DF Studio in general? Or in other words, well, is there a better way for Darren to shoot and preview the work that he's shooting remotely to clients? Well, my, my first comment is the snarky one that's like, don't get yourself in that situation. <laughs> because, mm. I, I, like, when you're. In badly. <laughs> well, when you're waiting for someone who's not there to respond to something that you're trying to show them, uh, that could go bad quickly. You could lose a lot of time. But mm. obviously, that's, you know, there are people who are willing to work under those conditions, and sometimes you have to. So, uh, I think. Um, I'm not real familiar with DF Studio, but if you can, if, if it has the tools that allow you to uh, quickly get the get the the photos over in front of the person that needs to see them, and it looked like it had some uh, iOS or you know mobile capability as well, that seems like that would that would certainly help. But uh, I have been in situations where someone's like, "Oh, can't you just uh, text me or email me some some photos, and I'll I'll give my approval." You know, just give me a few options, and I'm like, "Well, yeah." yeah. <laughs> we try to limit the options so we can spend more time and make a, a you know better, fewer photos than 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 more less good photos. Yeah. So uh, I think that that can be a whole tricky scenario just to manage in the first place. Uh, well, but, you know, uh, Google Google just announced the ability in Google Plus Hangouts to. I mean, you can have Hangouts as long as eight hours now. So I'm thinking, hmm. what if there was a way to tie into that so that you could just stream the entire shoot and someone could be That's in the room? That's a good idea. Wouldn't that yeah. be cool? You know, That's you could cool. see everything. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, that, that would be helpful because a lot of times, yeah, you're sending the photo, and and I've been in this situation. You send the photo, and th this person says, well, can you move a little bit to the left? Mm -hmm. And then you're like, then you take a snapshot with your iPhone, and it shows like, the, well, there's a big column here, or there's a giant filing cabinet, or there's some, you know, yeah. some immovable thing that doesn't let you get the camera there. So there's all those things that, that's why I like to have a, a client on site with me um, for every shoot if they're willing to come, because they, they are part of the process from a creative perspective, but they also see, you know, there are obviously a lot of challenges that we come across. And yeah. we try and eliminate as many of them as we can, but there are those that you can't. And so when the client's there and experiencing that uh, along with you, uh, then that helps the helps them accept the end results, whatever they happen to be. See that that would be killer if you could have if you could do a shoot and here I'm brainstorming. If you could do a shoot mm -hmm. where you as a photographer were in Google Glass, so yeah. you could get the POV of the photog from the photographer standpoint, and then have another feed from the camera as another participant in the hangout that you could switch mm -hmm. between, so they could see. They could click and see what the camera's seeing, or click and see what the photographer's seeing, and then have the whole thing recorded off to YouTube. That would be kind of awesome. So, would you that use something like that, or is that is that too much technology? I don't know. I mean, part of I I part of it makes me wonder. Well, at what point did they say, "Oh, we don't need the photographer. We'll just get the joystick and run the show <laughs> ourselves"? You know? Yeah. So, yeah. um, so I pulled up the DF Studio site. Man, it looks like it's a total powerhouse, professional solution. Um, and the, of course, the first column I see it says ten thousand dollars per month, and I begin scanning to the right, saying, "Oh my God, where does?" Wait, did it say per month? Per month, ten grand per month for like the premium account, and it goes wow. down to twenty bucks per month in defense. You know, if you have a personal <laughs> or an EDU situation, fifty bucks hey, a month for pros. Well, you're um, EDU now, aren't you? <laughs> I'm total EDU, brother, and I I just love that part. Um, so. <laughs> You know, I'm looking at it, man. I again just to come back to Dropbox because for me, Dropbox is like this amazing functionality. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking about going. All right, if you're on this kind of shoot, you're going to have a digital tech who's managing the images, and 
you could easily you know figure out a way to use Dropbox to kick images out ex do an export preset out of Lightroom because you know my world is like low budge and let's try to keep it in Lightroom if we can mm -hmm. and it's like just do an export preset out of Lightroom that kicks it to a shared folder in Dropbox and then the clients gonna you know potentially get these high-res images the ones that you guys select on set and you can say okay here's three options they pull it up and they, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you've got what, you don't need to have Lightroom on the other end to look at the images, right? Right, yeah. You've got yeah, you can just be viewing any, them in Finder, right? Right, right, right. But any any computer these days can pull up a, a JPEG, for instance. Oh, and, that's, that's brilliant. You know, See, path of mm -hmm. least resistance. I like that. I just look at it and say, man, you know, it's, now, I also looked at, like, you know, on the homepage for DF Studio, their client list is like, all right, you know, I'm not Fox Studios and I'm not right. Kenneth Cole or Glamour Magazine or History Channel. They, you know, that's like, okay, you know, it's a solution that probably has a valid place, but I don't circle in that orbit in the universe. You yeah, know? I think it's I think it's, it's meant for, like, groups. So, yeah, right. you have your remote art so director and then you have your somebody else in another office and they can all comment on it and you can get a common right. um, you know, list so of if, comments. If Darren, who asked this question, is working in that environment more power to you Darren it's like absolutely you know um, but again the key is I think survey the universe of options and then find the one that's the least expensive that's gonna get the job done yeah mm -hmm. and I would and, I would tack onto that it's not always the the solution that is the most expensive that's the best because what you described so with Dropbox is would be awesome you know why yeah. not just have have the images showing up in a finder window zoom the thumbnails up to the largest size or a large size so that they show up at a good size as you're shooting them and then have the client use the labeling system in OS 10 if they're on the Mac or Windows whatever to label the images that they think are keepers on the fly as you're shooting you know right. and it could you're done you're just using right. the operating system at that point right. And I and I I will say this I love the idea of using a hangout on a dedicated webcam that's just going to do a static behind the scenes look at the set you know, let the you know if nothing else that entertains the client between the mm -hmm. time that high-res images come yeah, through. Yeah, right. And then you add that as a line item on the invoice. You know, totally. Yeah, right. <laughs> Bandwidth fees. You know. <laughs> See, what, what I'm thinking in order to scale the business, right, is I stay home, right, and then yeah. I just have I send out crews to different locations, and then I I look at the hangouts, and I'm the one directing the camera for five or six different shoots at one time. There you go. See, yeah. now you're thinking. <laughs> See, now you're thinking. All right, guys, let's move on. Let's close this thing out with the picks of the week. Um, this is the segment where you guys get to recommend something to the TWIP listeners that is somehow related to photography. Jeffrey, what's your pick of the week? Mm -hmm. uh, well, um, I switched uh, strobes uh, about two or three years ago from uh, Dynalite, which was great, to Profoto's uh, D1s, which are their sort of monolite self-contained units. And they're really good. I use the 1,000-watt second versions of those. I have, I have a bunch of those. And that was another one of those sort of inflection points that they came out with so, such good technology and such good features that I'm like, I'm selling everything off and I'm getting new stuff. Yeah. Well, now they just came out with recently, a couple months ago, a battery-powered version of this Monolite. Uh, it's called the B1. Mm -hmm. And it's only about half the power of the – it's a 500-watt second light. But it's, uh, but it's the same form factor aside from a little bump for the battery as the D1. And 
uh, roughly the same price, a little bit more money. Um, I don't own them yet. I'm looking forward to getting some. But uh, for me, they'll be great because obviously any battery-powered light, uh, even when you're working inside a building, can be great because you can put them somewhere where you can't conveniently run power to. Because a lot of times we're like these composite shots that we're putting together, mm -hmm. half of them are you know getting an extension cord out of the shot or getting a, a light out of the shot or something. So, uh, so that that they're really going to be be nice in that regard. But a, a really cool feature they have for uh, for Canon uh, DSLR shooters is that they allow, excuse me, allows you to do um, you know, off-camera wireless TTL. So if you're a wedding shooter, for instance, um, you could have an assistant running around with one of these and you just put it on TTL mode with a dedicated um, remote on top of the camera and it's just like you're shooting TTL through the, through, you know, with a, with a uh, shoot-mounted nice. flash. Nice. So, and you could run multiple ones. You can run two or three of them at a time. Uh, so the, the wedding scenario is like the best idea. Not that I shoot weddings, but that's really where they're going to do well with this thing. But well, any kind What does that go for? Do you know the B1? Uh, I think they're about two thousand bucks a head, but um, and I think they're eventually they'll probably bundle them into a kit uh, of some sort. But uh, I think that they have a lot of flexibility for anyone who shoots on location, and so I'm looking forward to getting to getting a few of them. So uh, I put a link in the show notes to their to their site, but I think it'll be a it'll be a home run for them, and I think it's going to be so really model nice. lights are are kind of where it's at. So <clears throat> mm -hmm. right, would you agree? Model yeah. lights, and then now the next evolution in model lights are battery powered model lights, correct? Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And they uh, they also have other features that the D ones had that the, the B ones still have, where you can you can with this little dongle that costs too much money, you can plug it into your laptop if you're shooting tethered, and um, in Capture One at least you can pull up um, a little plug in to control the strobes. Oh, so. Cool. Uh, if you're if you're not using the TTL option and you're using them set manually, and for me, if I have them spread around a building or a two or three story space or something, um, I can turn them off and on. You can change the power uh, right from this little module uh, from it's the all laptop. Wired. All wired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's and that all functionality still works with the B ones as well. So that's so cool. Yeah, some nice technology. Yeah, really cool. Awesome. All right, Profoto B1 strobes. Thanks a lot for that, Jeff. Mm -hmm. All right, Silarina, what's your pick of the week? Well, I'm going to give a shout-out to my friends at Santa Fe Photo Workshops in cool. April, just a few months away. They are going to send me for the second year in a row with a group of photographers down to Havana, Cuba. Mm, and wow. it's not a widely known program, and a lot of people go, how do you get to Cuba? You know, don't you have to like go through the Bahamas or Mexico? And it's now these are totally above board, licensed by the U.S. government as a people-to-people -people exchange. I went last year for the first time. It was one of the most amazing weeks of my life. And the thing to know about Cuba is I was stunned as an American, and I met hundreds of people in my seven days there. There was not one ounce of anti-American, oh, you dirty Yankee capitalist pigs. They're warm, genuine people. It is an amazing culture that is changing really, really fast. And there's so many people said, oh, I've always thought about going to Cuba. Man, whether it's on my trip or somebody else's trip through Santa Fe, I just want to encourage you to go because Cuba is changing so, so fast. Um, it's an amazing place uh, architecturally, culturally, politically, economically, and there is an amazing community of photographers down there. Um, the cool thing about the Santa Fe workshops, they've worked with these guys for years, um, and we every group has two Cuban photographers as street guides with us. We do a lot of street photography. Um, and it was just, it was an amazing week, and we're going back in April. And so oh, 
it's a kind for many of us. For me, it may be a twice in a lifetime thing, but for so many people, the idea of going to shoot in Cuba for a week is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So, yeah. and just we'll, want to give we'll a shout out for that. We'll definitely Sounds link great. over to that uh, on your blog. Over, it's on pixelated.com, right? Yep. Yeah. Cool. All right, guys. And my pick of the week is a uh, you know from time to time I get on Netflix and I. I look at different documentaries. In fact, I think I've probably seen all the documentaries on Netflix, uh, photography related. Um, but there's one in particular that I think you guys, listeners, should check out. It's from National Geographic, and it's called Through the Lens. Really cool. It's old. I think it's from 2002. So, and I think that's what makes it kind of cool because you can see what people were shooting with, Nat Geo photographers were shooting with in 2002, and they've got it's all film, obviously, and you know, we've got base jumpers with giant cameras strapped to their helmets and all this stuff. When you think about today, we've got GoPros and, and Sony action cams and all this stuff. They had to do some, some crazy acrobatics to get the shot back then where you can get similar shots with your iPhone or very small gear. So if you watch it from a, from a historical perspective, it's really, it's really interesting. And then also from a inspiration perspective because the photographers on the show, the main kind of theme or DNA of the, the documentary is, and they actually say this in the beginning of the show, they say that the, one of the lines that separates amateur photographers from professional photographers is effort. And the professional photographers will put themselves in situations to get the shot of the volcano or to get the shot of the base jumper or to get the shot of the you know, the whitewater rafting person where the amateur will stay on the coast or, you know, get a long lens or whatever and not not get the same shot that the pro actually put in the effort to to grab. So I would definitely check that out. If you're on Netflix, it's free, right? So um, definitely great. go check it out. It's National Geographic Through the Lens. Really cool. Awesome. All right, folks, we're at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. And remember, stay tuned to the end of this show for an interview with two members of the Shutterstock executive team. I sat down with Scott Brout. He's the vice president of content. And Karen Sachs, she's the head of image acquisition. We talked about all things Shutterstock and about how you can be the best stock photographer you can be in today's audience or in today's market. It's a really good, uh, really interesting and straightforward discussion about the world of stock and micro-stock photography. All right, guys, where can, guy, where can people go to keep up with you, Jeffrey? Where's your uh, online presence? Um, mostly my, my website's the best place, uh, jeffreytotaro.com, uh, and I'm also on Twitter at, at jeffreytotaro. I'm technically on Google+, but not really. <laughs> I would like to be. It's just a matter of, but I don't, I don't want to be half there, so I'm sort of not there at all. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, cool. One day. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, great to be here. Thanks. All right, last but not least, Jimmy Hoffa, I mean, Sil Arena. <laughs> Sil, Sil, where can people go to keep tabs on you? We're going to have to put a, a house arrest anklet on you or something. Yeah, I was going to say some sort of tracking bracelet. Um, no, my blog, Pixelated, um, P-I-X-S-Y-L-A-T-E-D.com is ground zero for all things Sil Arena these days. Wonderful. And thanks again. I'm glad you're back. I'm glad, uh, you know, the Bermuda Triangle didn't swallow you and you're back amongst the, the photographer world. <laughs> you have, you have for the TWIP audience, broken one of the world's great mysteries, Frederick. So congratulations. I have. I'm going to title this show. I'm going to title this show something, something appropriate for the return of Silarina. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Look forward to it.
All right, and listeners, be sure to check out our newly revamped website over at thisweekinphoto.com. Or if you want to touch base with me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at my personal newly revamped website. I'm very proud of it, so please go check it out. And leave me a comment there. It's got a little comment page. You can shoot me a message directly from the page. And that's it. With that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. All right, guys, here I'm sitting here virtually, uh, East Coast versus West Coast here with Karen Sachs at Shutterstock. She's the head of image acquisition uh, for both uh, Shutterstock and Offset. And sitting beside her there is Mr. Scott Brout. He's the vice president of content over at Shutterstock. So they've both agreed to come on this week in photo to talk about, of course, Shutterstock and Microstock and stock photography. But also, I want to get into the weeds about some ways that photographers that are looking at getting into the stock photography industry, how can they differentiate themselves from the other photographers that are out there? And what kind of images should you be uploading? And what shouldn't you be uploading? And all that stuff. So guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. My pleasure. Let's start with backgrounds on both you guys. Scott, let's start with you. So you're you're sort of running things content wise over at Shutterstock. How how did you get to that to that perch there at one of the biggest stock photography companies on the planet? Um, well, I've been in photography for about twenty years. Uh, went to school for photography. Um, when I graduated, I ultimately went to work for the Associated Press as a photo editor. Um, that was nineteen ninety four. It was a time that. Uh, the Associated Press was making a transition from film to digital, so it was still, you know, the kind of time period where they had wet, wet darkroom days. Um, it was a great time to be there because it was the first time they began to have professional digital cameras like the Kodak NC2000, and the first time that they had digital distribution of news images. Um, so I had been at the Associated Press for about five years. I've worked in a number of roles in photography, uh, but eventually went to work for the ABC News Digital um, in a product, a technical product capacity as a as a product manager. Um, and by virtue of that experience at ABC, because of my broadcast experience, because of photography experience, and also because of the technology experience, um, came to work uh, for Shutterstock. Relaunching to you know with the purpose of relaunching their video business. So I've been here about four years, and um, by virtue again of, of that those different experiences, um, eventually kind of came to oversee the content team. You know, having had relationships with photographers, with videographers, and also sort of understanding the technical piece of it. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I want to dive into the video piece of it a little bit as we dive into the interview. But Karen, uh, what about you? What was your sort of path into the world of Shutterstock? Sure. I started um, my career, actually, I studied photography at the University of Michigan, and I had always dreamt of working at National Geographic, as many young photographers do. And I was able to land my first job out of school at National Geographic working for the kids' magazine as a photo editor. I was there for four years. I met many of the most amazing photographers working there, uh, forged a lot of great relationships. And what I learned through that experience was that I loved working with photographers. At first, I thought I wanted to be the one out there shooting 
doing, um, but I really enjoyed those relationships and, and editing. And from uh, National Geographic, I moved up to New York City. I ended up working at Martha Stewart Living. I was the director of photography um, for the merchandise side of the business, so I oversaw photo production for 18 lines of, of products, which was a fantastic experience. And I, from there, went out to San Francisco for a little bit and worked for Pottery Barn, working with some of the same photographers that I had worked with at Martha Stewart, so that was a great experience. And I had worked on both the editorial and the commercial side of the business, so I, coming to Shutterstock was a great experience for me because I was able to bring all of those past experiences, those past relationships together in one place, but in a new way where it wasn't just about commercial or editorial, it was combining everything through technology, which has been fantastic. That's cool. So, so between the two of you guys, it's like you got the 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 one-two punch in the <laughs> photography world, <laughs> um, and and that combines to make Shutterstock. So then, Shutterstock itself. Let's just talk about the history of the company, and you know, if we, I don't know what if you consider the stock photography landscape of of businesses, is it a crowded space now, or is it sort of shaken out into? you know, just the, the main juggernauts are left standing? Um, I think there's certainly never been more sources of stock photography than there are today. Yeah. Um, that, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, we, we consider ourselves to be one of the go-to sources for any creative stock assets. So it doesn't matter if it's video or photography. Um, yeah. 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 So then, so with that, let's, let's switch to about, to, to just the history of Shutterstock and, and the, what the genesis was of the company. You know, I know there's always that sort of, okay, there's the, the founder of the company, saw a need, built something cool, and then suddenly people flocked to it. Was it that kind of Silicon Valley, sort of New York high-tech story, or was it something more methodical? Sure. Um, the company was founded in 2003 um, by our current founder and CEO, which is John, John Oranger. Uh, John comes from the background of being an entrepreneur and a photographer, and um, John had started a number of online businesses um, for which he needed stock photography, but in the process of going to license stock photos, found the process you know, very expensive, very cumbersome, you know, filled with a lot of friction. Um, so what John ended up doing was going out and buying a Canon, uh, Canon Rebel uh, XT, shooting about 100,000 of his own images, and from that, uh, curating a collection of about 30,000 with which he founded Shutterstock. So, after that, he ended up extending that this, the model to a number of um, contributors, uh, and you know that's basically how, how Shutterstock was born. Wow! And then the rest is history. How's it How's it going now? Is it Is it You guys are still here. I mean, so companies that are you know companies that don't that aren't successful aren't around. You guys have been around, like you said, since two thousand three. So you're doing something right. What's uh What's it like right now? Are you guys still pressing forward, or is it Are you on your heels? What's it What's it like inside? Yeah, no, no, it's great. I, it, it's absolutely an exciting time for us to be here. Um, you know, now having gone from John being the one contributor, um, we now have over 40,000 contributors. Uh, <laughs> we've got 750,000 customers around the world, um, 30 million images, over 30 million images in the in the collection. And, you know, even with contributor payouts, we've delivered about $150 million to contributors in, in royalties. Um, so it's it's very healthy business, you know, healthy on both sides of the business, both, you know, the customers and the contributor side. Um, and, and we're, we're, you know, very excited exactly. <laughs> about, about our time here right now. Yeah. Now, Karen, looking at the image acquisition side of things, what does it look like? What's an average, 
Yeah, as we transition this into a discussion about being successful in microstock, what is it the average photographer that's doing really well on in you know business wise and making money in microstock? What does it look like for them? How many images are they uploading? What's their you know average without giving away too much? How much can they make in say a month? You know, what does that look like for people that are like, you know, I want to try this, but I'm not sure what the numbers look like. Sure. Well, I can tell you the photographers who take it seriously, who really go out there and shoot with the the end client in mind. That's what we always like to say. Photographers who aren't just taking pictures of anything they see, but they're thinking how those images can be used in the future. Those are the photographers who we find are the most successful on Shutterstock. And those photographers are uploading weekly, um, and if not weekly, on a monthly basis. They're constantly uploading to their portfolio on the site. So some photographers or illustrators might only have a few hundred images, but they're the best that they are able to create. They're the best of their kind. And so from those images, they're able to generate significant revenue. Other photographers might have portfolios of 5, 10, 15,000 images, and they've been with us for a while and are constantly adding new work. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then with that, when, if those photographers that are, that are constantly adding new work, how are they doing that? Is it, do they self-assign themselves or is there a list of, you know, there are, the Shutterstock needs images in this category and you let the, the masses know so that you fill that category? Or is it like, say I'm a photographer and I say, you know what, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to Seoul, I'm going to shoot a bunch of things and put them up on Shutterstock and hopefully someone will bite. Is it random like that or is it more methodical in terms of the content that gets put in the library? you get a little bit of both, but the photographers who take it seriously, the ones I was referring to earlier, really study their own sales and they're constantly on the site and they're looking at which images are showing up when they hit most popular for the search results. So if you were to type in anything, whether it's food or lifestyle, there's a few different ways that you can search images on our site. And if they're looking at the most popular images, they can get a good idea of which images clients are really looking for. And then they start to use that for inspiration as they create new images. So they're not necessarily copying what they're seeing, but they're letting those images help inform the direction that they go. Yeah. Now, looking at the the microstock industry overall, you know, a lot of the you know photographers that have been shooting for you know twenty, thirty years or plus, they've seen the they've seen the transition in the industry from okay, I put an image up there and I get paid hundreds, thousands of dollars or whatever to, to license it. And now similar images are much less, let's say, right? So how there was a, a couple of years ago, I'm sure you guys, you're sitting in the middle of it. You know, there was all this sort of backlash from photographers over Microstock is killing photography and stock photography. And now how, what's your position on that? Was it, is this just an, a logical evolution of where things need to go, e.g. the long tail or was that just a time that was is over now and now that we're all digital everything all bets are off what's your position so um this is a big topic but i think one, one that, that we love um you know having, having come from the background you know as i mentioned earlier of having you know worked at ap and, and a wire service at a time where you know the world was you know firmly entrenched in um you know rights managed photography and long you know friction filled sort of licensing models um, you know, if you look at what's happened to image consumption in the last 10 years, there's been, you know, there's been enormous change. So in that period after the Associated Press, I worked as um, a photo editor that worked on book projects and magazine projects, you know, through the wire service, you know, with newspapers. And that was an environment where images were getting published, you know, once per day or once per week. Um, you know, fast forward to today and you've got 700 million websites, you know, consuming content 
24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's something like you know 2.4 billion internet users yeah. um, consuming consuming content in that time. So, you know, who the audience is, where the audience is, how they consume images, you know, how they communicate with each other visually, you know, we've really seen massive changes to that. Um, but what hadn't really been changing was the way that images were were licensed, or you know, the way people went out and were able to acquire images, you know, and communicate. So. Um, you know, uh, the great thing about and what we believe in with our model is this idea that it's it's created this pool of licensable images that now are available and accessible to hundreds of thousands of customers across the world in every single geography. You know, simultaneously at the same time, and I promise that this would be a big topic. Um, you've got contributors around the world who are looking to like monetize their assets, and so now you know Shutterstock has become this this platform. By which we you can connect those people, you know, the the contributors on the one side who are looking to kind of license their imagery, and the many hundreds of thousands, you know, of customers that are looking to communicate. The connector, you guys are the connector, yeah. And looking through the library, I use Shutterstock all the time for the images that we use on this week in photo, and you know, it's that's the that's one of the most fun parts of my job is to go in and find the right image for the post, you know. So I'm one of those those millions of people that are digging into the library all the time. So with that, when I'm in the library, I see all kinds of stuff in there. I mean, there's we we've been this conversation so far has been centered on photography, but you as you sort of foreshadowed before. There's video in there. There's Illustrator templates in there. There's all kinds of stuff in the library. It's not just photos anymore. Is how are you seeing the adoption of that that stuff? Are people actually coming to Shutterstock? To well, obviously they are, but I mean, what kind of numbers of people are you seeing coming in there? Like, okay, I need a a template for a PowerPoint presentation. I'm going to download that. What what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, if you look at, at video in and of itself, you know, video is one of the fastest growing parts of our business. Um, you know, we definitely know from customers, we have customers in the office all the time. We talk to them about their workflows and their needs. And, you know, they, they tell us every day that they've gone from a time where, you know, they used to, to the point earlier, like publish to a single publication. Now they're doing the ebook and the website. And now they need like a, a video. And, you know, they're, they're, they're being called on to have these skills that they never even, even had. So, um, I think the collection has grown, you know, to, to kind of match those needs. Um, it, it's amazing now we have this uh, this event called Pixels of Fury that we, you know, invite art directors and designers um, to come to an event and, and basically compete. Um, so have like a, a battle type environment where they put together some new creation using the assets of Shutterstock. And it's it's amazing to see the way that they come into the collection and to your point about having a lot of different kinds of assets, they can, they can pull together a lot of different kinds of stuff to create something new and, and original. Um, and, and it wasn't it wasn't possible to do that, you know, five or ten years ago, in the way that stock had been uh, structured at the time or offered offered to customers. Yeah, yeah, and then of course the the crazy rapid adop uh, adoption of tablets and, and devices and that sort of thing, and apps, of course. I mean, all these millions of apps that are being generated on all these different platforms, they all need assets, right? Are you seeing a lot of a lot of people dipping into the library to, to, to grab things to build apps and those kinds of uh, projects with? Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, we see consumption for all different kinds of uses. I yep. mean, it, it, you know, it can range from somebody who has a, a small business in India that is looking to either promote their business or get inspiration to you know your, the kinds of you know 
you know, app designers and other kind of digital designers that are looking for that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's crazy. All right, let's, let's talk about it. So there's a, so it all started with Shutterstock, right? Um, and then now you guys are diversifying into several, di- or, or at least a couple of different sub-brands, right? So there's SkillFeed um, that's out there. I want to talk about that just briefly. And then also Offset, which is another way that people can acquire images. So tell me about SkillFeed and what that's, what that business is and who it's for. Sure. SkillFeed is an online learning platform. So anyone, whether they're illustrators or videographers or photographers, can come to the site and find tutorials that they can learn how to be even better in their craft um, and further their skill set. And it also is interesting because those same people can then upload tutorials and teach their peers. What we've learned through our community is so many of our photographers and illustrators want to share with their friends that they're, they're making through this industry how to be better. We have very active forums on the Shutterstock website um, where people share these little trades, little... um, Like skills and... Skills, yeah, excuse me. It's a feat of skills. um, Yeah, exactly, where the photographers are sharing tips to be better at their craft. So that's a really exciting um, thing for us to watch, and now they're able to do that on SkillFeed. That's great. And then Offset. So Offset, what I really want to understand is is what the, the genesis of Offset was and how that how you're positioning that next to Shutterstock itself. How does that how does that work? So first of all, des- describe what Offset is. Sure. Um, Scott and I will both want to talk about this because it's, <laughs> it's definitely a passion project for, for the two of us sure. and for many people here at the company. Um, Shutterstock, as you know, has 30, over 30 million images. Offset, we have about 50,000 images, and they're storytelling images. We're working with photographers from around the world. Um, Many of these photographers have not licensed imagery before. Some of them have. And we're going through their archives and pulling images that we see that have a very narrative quality um, and tell a story in a different way. And we're seeing these images being used as hero images, so advertising agencies, public Publishers are using these images um, as full-page spreads, as covers, in a way that's really exciting for us to to branch out into the industry. Got it. Got it. And then what? Are, what? Are, oh, Scott, did you want to add something to that? No, just the one thing that I was going to add is um, just as a business, you know, Shutterstock currently services the seven hundred fifty thousand customers. Um, the, the, sorry. <laughs> that, um, the, the different kinds of customers that we can get um, through that, you know, there, there's everybody from like the freelance graphic designer to um, media companies, publishers, and advertising agencies. And you know, at the end of the day, a lot of those users have very different kinds of needs. So, um, you know, Offset is basically positioned um, in part as a solution for some of those ad agencies and media companies and, and large publishers that are looking for a, a different kind kind of image. Right. Um, to, to Karen's point, that hero image. Yeah. Now, is that so? Are the licensing restrictions different on offset images versus Shutterstock, and and what's the price differential? Sure. Um, offset is a royalty-free business model, similar to Shutterstock. So it stays in the the ethos of our of our company of of how we see the photography industry and the illustration industry. Um, the prices, uh, the advertised prices on Offset are $250 for a low-res file and $500 for a high-res file, where Shutterstock has a subscription model and different images depending on the license that a client needs. Offset has two set price points. Okay. And the low-res would be for bloggers and, and online multimedia usage, and the, the higher price one would be for printing. 
Right. The low res is about three megabytes. So yeah. online use. Plenty. Plenty. Yeah. That's great. How long has Offset been in, been in operation? We, we launched um, in March. Um, we had a soft launch when we were still in beta, and we came out of beta in the fall, um, and now we're, we're out there, and anybody can come to the site and, and experience the collection, which is growing every day. That's awesome. What's, what's the URL for Offset? Uh, offset.com, www.offset.com. Can't awesome. get easier than that. Right? Easy, easy, perfect. <laughs> and you can also get to the Offset site through Shutterstock. So if you're searching for images on Shutterstock, there's a button where you, that you can click to come over to Offset as well. Yeah, and and to the to the folks that are watching slash listening to this, I know one of our TWIP hosts is uh, one of the Offset contributors, and Martin Bailey, correct? He's in yes, there. yes. Martin is so wonderful. We're thrilled to have his archive um, on Offset. It's such a pleasure to work with him. He is fantastic. Yeah, that's a that's a a, a huge endorsement because I know how picky Martin is. So. <laughs> We've had so much fun talking with Martin and and seeing the different images he shoots as he travels the world. It's it's exciting. I I feel like I'm traveling with him as he sends these images, only I'm here in an office while he's out there. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, he's out there with the snow monkeys and you're there in meetings. Lots of snow monkeys. So let's let's. I want to be respectful of you guys' time. And you guys, speaking of meetings, probably have other ones to jump into. But let's talk a little bit about um, tips, some tips and, and actionable tips that you can give to photographers that are looking at jumping into this business and submitting images. You know, I know I've heard like you know the one of the running jokes is no more cats. You know, <laughs> no more pictures of kittens. <laughs> That's it. No more cats. The world has enough cats in stock photography. So what what are some ideas for content to shoot that would do well? And then how to shoot that? Like, should they even gear wise, should they be photographers only be shooting with full frame DSLRs or smaller format cameras? Okay, how does it all work? So maybe I can share a few tips about the content and then pass it over to Scott because um, he's much more knowledgeable about the gear than I am. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> See, I told you, one-two yeah, punch. Exactly. Right? <laughs> team here, right? <laughs> so as, as far as the content, um, I always say to photographers, look at the world around you. What types of images are you seeing in magazines? What are you seeing in advertisements? That's what you should be shooting. And that's a great way to stay on top of different trends. Always look at images. You know, every time I get a magazine, I'm flipping it around and looking at the credit to see where the image comes from. I'm looking at the styling, looking at the hair, the makeup, the fashion. All of that is really important when you're creating images for stock because they're not just for your consumption, they're for the consumption of the clients. And you want the clients to to recognize the quality in those images and download them. So that's an incredibly important feature um, in creating stock photography. Something else that's really helpful to start out is think about what you know and what you're good at. So if you love to cook or you have a friend who loves to cook and you love food and eating food, start shooting food photography. Um, And I always suggest pulling some inspiration together, maybe on Pinterest or other sites out there, of, of a shoot that you want to do, and then sit down and write out a shot list. And some of the advanced photographers might not need shot lists, but I think they're really helpful to get your thoughts down on paper so that when you start shooting, when you pick up your camera, when you have your lights ready, you really can get every shot that's available to you um, and, and shoot every sequence 
because then you can walk away at the end of the day with maybe 40 or 50 great images to upload to the site. So there are certain topics that we're always looking for, lifestyle images, model-released lifestyle images. With the World Cup coming up, soccer or football is really um, a great topic to cover. Kids playing, just having fun teams playing and and always get model releases yeah and one one question scott before i move on to you one question about that is you know i've i've, I've heard that that you know the the topical shots and you know the shots that are more you know if the fourth of july is coming up so lots of red white and blue type shots or if it's, it's holiday season and lots of you know snow and christmas tree that kind of thing um but in my what i want to have you guys demystify is over the years, it seems like you'd have a lot of those kinds of images that show up that are evergreen that people can go back to. Is there a way that photographers can keep it fresh so that, you know, because when I look in there, I'm like, you know, what? wow, there's so much stuff in here. How can I possibly differentiate myself to put something in there that hasn't been done better? You know, what are some tips around how to make it better or different? I mean, one one very important thing to us right now is the fact that we are a global business. Yeah. Um, so every artist that is creating content has a choice to make, and they can create content that is relevant to a global audience sure. and, and all of those people, or they can try and create content that's relevant to a local audience. And so, you know, we're, we're really interested in getting more local content from many of our artists around the world. So um, a business meeting in London is going to look very different than a business meeting in Rio de Janeiro that's going to look very different than a business meeting in Shanghai. And so we're always encouraging contributors to look for holes in the collection. You know, we, we provide certain tools that, that help them do that. We provide a keyword trends tool that shows them when the demand of a particular topic is, is starting to rise um, relative to a specific keyword. Um, so, you know, the most successful stock photos take advantage of some of those opportunities. Um, they also do something else, which is they often kind of represent multiple concepts. So even though um, you know, a, a stock photo of a surfer might be one of the more common stock photos that you see or a business handshake or whatever the case may be. It's usually those images are often successful because they represent more than one thing. So for a surfer, it could be, you know, risk and excitement, but then also the literal concept of uh, a surfer. Um, so, you know, the best stock photos tend to capitalize on, you know, all those things. I love it. I love it. Perfect. So, Scott, what about gear? So, shooting this stuff, should do do photographers need to uh, go out and invest in the latest full-frame Nikon or Canon or Sony or whatever? Or can they use a smaller footprint camera? Yeah, no, absolutely. Today, they can use a smaller footprint camera. I mean, we've gotten to the time where what's the latest megapixel count on, on a smartphone is, I think, 41 megapixels. <laughs> um, so, I, I think it's more about... The, not the equipment, but the, the execution and the idea that content is king. You know, a, a sensor is a sensor and a lens is a lens. And, you know, you need to have a, a certain level of basic technical proficiency to make sure that an image is, you know, in focus and properly color corrected and, and all those things that serve the needs of a buyer. Um, but at the end of the day, those those are kind of learnable skills. Um, and, and certainly, you know, it's, it's not about the price point of the camera. I mean, speaking to that earlier experience at, 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 uh, at the Associated Press, where the digital cameras were, you know, $26,000 for the first, um, you know, DSLRs, yeah. and we're no longer in that environment. You know, you can get um, for at a very accessible price point, even if you look at video cameras like GoPros at, at a few hundred dollars, you know, you're, you're dealing with um, very capable equipment. Today. Very, very high quality. What about, uh, what about megapixel restrictions? Is there a must be at least this many megapixels uh, before it can be accepted into the library restriction? 
Yeah, so our standard, which is a historical standard, is four megapixels, okay. which now even some of the most basic of you know smartphones can can shoot a four megapixel image. Yeah, that was my next question. I was going to say, can uh, can iPhone shooters? You know, there's a bunch of Instagram people out there. Can they uh, transfer their skills over to Shutterstock and start putting images into the library? Uh, they they can. You know, for us, we focus on you know the 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 basic technical requirements of the content and, and the quality of the content. But if, if, if the content, you know, concepts are there, they can absolutely get them, uh, get them approved. That's really cool. So what's next for you guys? What's next for Shutterstock, Offset, SkillFeed? Uh, you guys are on a, on a path for world domination. What's the, <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the next continent that you need to acquire? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've talked about some of them. I think SkillFeed is an online learning platform. You know, when we think about Shutterstock's portfolio of, of products, it's also a portfolio of opportunities. So, um, you know, we get very excited about hearing about people around the world that have um, maybe had a day job um, or been a professional artist and they came to our platform and they were able to make money um, from, from their work. And sometimes that really liberated them in a way that um, they either got rid of the day job and went full time into you know photography, videography. Um, so for us, you know, some of those new frontiers are things like SkillFeed, where now people can think about their ability to become an online instructor and what skills they have that they can make available to a worldwide audience and how to how to monetize that. Um, you know, footage and, and video is is a is a tremendous area where everybody is learning about the importance of video in advertising down to the smallest business. And so those people are looking for more stock video. Um, you know, we've got uh, over a million stock videos relative to the many, you know, millions of potential customers out there and the, you know, tens of millions of potential uses, you know, that's, that's actually a small, small collection. It's, it's really, that's, that's why we get excited because, you know, from our perspective, it's the beginning of a, a new day. You know, this is, this is, we're very kind of early in the, you know, in, 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 in sort of like the level of opportunity that's available for people right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I tell photographers a lot of times, especially amateurs or advanced amateurs, because you, you, there's that the block of okay I have all this cool gear and I want to go shoot something but it's hard to get motivated to shoot something when you don't know what you're going to do with what you shoot. So I tell people on the show a lot to go for motivation and ideas to go just plow through the Shutterstock library get some ideas of different things that are going on then and then based on this conversation they go out and execute on something shoot a bunch of cool things now they have a, in the back of their head, I know I'm shooting and this is going to go on Shutterstock. Or I, this is going somewhere, not just into my Lightroom library or Aperture library. It's actually going to, you know, not that I'm going to, you know, go buy the latest Ferrari with the revenue from it. But at least it's not going to just sit on my hard drive. It's going to go someplace and I will get some feedback on it and possibly some additional revenue off of it. So it, it sort of all makes a full circle. So congratulations on that, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks, and thanks a lot for coming on today. It's a, it's been a busy week. We're in the what is it? The second week of January, twenty fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> We're full on into twenty fourteen. So thanks a lot for coming on, and and best of luck with Shutterstock, Offset, and Skillfeed, and and all your future endeavors. Sounds like you guys are you got the Midas touch over there. So congratulations. <laughs> thanks, Frederick. Yeah, thank you very Great much. Great talking Frederick. with you. Okay, talk to you soon. Talk to you Bye. Soon. Bye.